who here couldn't care less and will eat anything regardless of what the date says on it? <clears throat> okay, all right. That was a little different than I expected, but that's okay. Uh, but in the, in the spirit of kind of compromise and, and unity between those two extremes, uh, I've actually done a little work for you. I downloaded a food spoilage uh, guide from the internet that could be helpful to some of you guys. Uh, and the first category is, is uh, frozen foods. So frozen foods, it says, have become permanently attached to the freezer compartment walls. Will, will probably be spoiled or unusable anyway by the time you pry them loose with a kitchen knife. <clears throat> In the category of canned goods, uh, any cans of food that have become swollen beyond their normal size and shape should be discarded immediately and carefully. When it comes to lettuce, all types of lettuce should be considered spoiled when you can't get it off the bottom of the vegetable crisper drawer without comet and a stiff brush. And finally, dairy products. Uh, milk is spoiled when it starts to look like yogurt. <laughs> yogurt is spoiled when it starts to look like cottage cheese. Cottage cheese is spoiled when it starts to look like regular cheese. And of course, regular cheese is nothing but spoiled milk anyway and can't get any more spoiled than it already is, so enjoy. So I hope that helps out here. <laughs> but you know, all, all kidding aside, it's not uh, just food that comes with expiration dates, right? Uh, ev everything has one. Every single thing that we encounter in this universe, from, uh, from furniture to flowers, from rainbows to radiators, from coral reefs to far-flung constellations, everything in creation has a shelf life, including you and me. Uh, it's, actually a, it's actually a fundamental scientific truth. Isaac Asimov explained it like this. He said, the universe is constantly getting more disorderly. All we have to do is nothing, and everything deteriorates and collapses, breaks down, wears out all by itself. That's what the second law of thermodynamics is all about. Uh, spoilage, that, that idea is also a staple of orthodox Christian doctrine, the fact that the whole created order was impacted by the fall of Adam and Eve, and that because of that is now destined for destruction when we get to the ultimate expiration date, and that's the end of time itself, uh, where God has promised to make all things new. And I know for some folks that prospect can sound maybe a little ominous or, or frightening to think that, you know, everything that we kind of hold on to is transient at best. But there's one thing. There is one thing that we can always count on, uh, one thing that the passage of time or even the absence of time someday cannot affect, uh, just one thing that we have access to now that will never go away, that will never fade, that will never expire, that will always be relevant, uh, always be eternally vital and active, and that is the Word of God. Because the truth is, as Jesus said in Matthew twenty-four thirty-five, heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away. And, and that's the theme of our psalm text today, Psalm 119, that testifies to the reality and the relevance of the eternal word of God. And, and, and just in case if some of you have been looking ahead and you were maybe afraid that I was going to read to you the entirety of Psalm 119, um, you can relax. I, I promise I'm not going to do that. <clears throat> you can do that. <laughs> on your own at home, but what I am going to do is read you the section headings 
uh, which is a really great way to break up this extremely large chapter uh, with 176 verses, you guys. Uh, the longest psalm in the whole collection. Uh, because the good news is the author actually did all the work for us by writing Psalm 119 as one of the acrostic or alphabetic psalms. Uh, and if you get a chance to look at it later, there's, there's uh, eight stanzas or couplets, each beginning with one of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. If you're looking at your Bible, you probably see that uh, above each section. So the first eight couplets begin with Aleph, which is the Hebrew letter A. Uh, the next eight begin with Bet, which is the Hebrew letter B, and, and so on through. Uh, and every one of them, every single line, expertly crafted to make a direct reference to the excellence and the importance of the Scriptures, the, the, the written Word of God. Uh, whether the, the author calls it uh, God's law or his testimonies or his statutes, etc., depending on where that line falls in the alphabetic order. So we actually could say Psalm 119 uh, is the whole word of God from A to Z. And it's a very useful text for us to consider, uh, especially in this age of fake news and faulty ideologies and fruitcake faculty members in positions of authority in our school boards and our college lecture halls. Uh, because as I said last Sunday, you know, in the days and weeks and months ahead as this world starts to look less and less familiar, the more we're going to need a firm foundation to stand on uh, and a standard of truth from a fixed point of reference uh, and one that is not only uh, readily accessible to us but 100% reliable. And so we're going to look at Psalm 119. Now, if you're looking at your, uh, your own Bible, you see each section heading has those Hebrew letters that I mentioned. I'm not going to read those, but you can see those for yourself. Uh, starting out, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Uh, and it's probably easier to follow on the screen because I'm going to be jumping around. Down to uh, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. And then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Your hands have made and fashioned to me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. For your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. I have done what is just and right according to your decrees. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord, and I will keep your statutes. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. And brothers and sisters, that's the word of the Lord to us today. Let's pray. 
Gracious Father, we thank you for uh, this word from your Psalms. We ask you, Lord, to lend us your Holy Spirit now to teach us. We ask you, Father, that you would uh, open hearts, uh, open minds, and, and let this word be written within us, even as we see it uh, read before us in your house. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if, you know, if you've been around uh, our church really any time at all, you know we place a really high value on the exposition of Scripture. Uh, and that when I, when I preach, I don't want to just stand up here and, and give a motivational speech or a, uh, a self-help lecture. And those things are great. They, they have their place. Uh, but that place isn't from the pulpit. Uh, and so instead, I try every week with God's help to take a particular text of Scripture and uh, explain its meaning in light of uh, its context in the book in which it was written and the, uh, the literary and historical and, and cultural considerations of its message uh, and of its place within the Bible as a whole, but I do it with a goal in mind. It's not just academic. I have a mission. And my agenda for you guys is that the Word of God would not just pass through your ears, but that it would stir your mind to think. To think about the deep questions of life and, and the assumptions of your worldview. And even more than that, uh, that the things that you hear in this place week after week, whether it's in Bible study, or Sunday school, or here in worship, would mold you not, not into my image, but that you and I together would be molded by the Scriptures uh, into the image of Jesus Christ. And that only happens by getting what's in here in, into here, in, into your head, and even more importantly, into your heart. And, and just maybe by way of a quick illustration, this might make sense. You guys probably get a lot of these uh, in the mail, especially this time of year. You know those little postcards with appeals from relief organizations, right, with pictures of needy children on them uh, from poverty-stricken areas of the world, areas where uh, people are literally starving every day. And, you know, it really just breaks your heart to think that that still happens when there's plenty of food in the world to feed them. But, but kind of in that same vein, I wonder what would happen if God could take a snapshot of our spiritual condition. Uh, of, of my spiritual condition and, and yours, would, would we look spiritually like those kids look physically? Would, would we look emaciated from the lack of food that our souls need that is only found in the Word of God? Right? And, and if it does, it's almost doubly sad because in this country, we all own Bibles. Right? Some people may be more than one. And, and you know, usually what's lacking with a person in a general sense is something that they can't get their hands on like those starving kids right i mean if, if they had food they'd eat it right so, so what that suggests is when we find ourselves in this country spiritually malnourished what that means is that we simply lack the motivation to do something about it we're, we're what my dad used to call someone too lazy to even feed themselves but Psalm 119 shows us that the Word of God should have even more importance than food and should get top priority in our lives. And that's kind of what I want to focus on today. If my microphone will stay on my ear. Uh, you know, and, and there's really, when you, know, when you look through this, there's a lot of different aspects about Scripture that we could have explored through Psalm 119. In fact, I could easily spend another whole year just, just in this one if, if you want me to. I don't see any takers. Uh, but we could, we could spend another whole year just working through it, but I, I promise I'm only going to develop four quick themes for you on Scripture. Uh, and the first of them being that the Bible is God's authoritative word. Because you know, when God speaks, he doesn't mumble. 
Uh, the Bible is not a book of helpful hints for happy living. It speaks with authority. And Psalm 119 uses a variety of terms as synonyms to convey the concept of that authority. Uh, if you read it later, the main one is law. God's law. It's used 25 times in Psalm 119. In the Psalm, it actually refers uh, to anything from a single command to the first five books of Moses to all of, of Scripture, and it lays out for God's people how he intends for us to live. Uh, and sure, since it comes from God, this law is not just for academic interest, but for absolute obedience. I don't know what's wrong with this thing. The second most common synonym uh, used in Psalm 119 is word, God's word. It's used 23 times in the psalm, emphasizing, as we said, the fact that God has spoken, and it's meant to convey the nuance that God has made promises to his people. The third synonym is statutes. It's used 22 times in today's psalm, and it's meant to convey the meaning of something engraved in stone. Or as one commentator said, it speaks of the binding force and permanence of it. Uh, equal to that in usage is the synonym commandments. It's used 22 times in the psalm, and it points to a straightforward authority in what's being said and really has the idea of a military commander giving direct orders to someone. Uh, the next is, is precepts. Used 21 times. It comes from a word meaning to, to oversee or to pay close attention to. And it's meant to remind us that God cares about details. And then comes testimonies, used 10 times in the psalm. From a root word that means to bear witness. And it points to the dependability of the Bible uh, as a witness of those laws that God has given. And it also gives the idea of a warning. A warning to follow those laws. And then there's others. There's, there's judgments, there's ordinances, there's ways. But all of them used, even if it's less frequently, with the overarching effect being to reinforce the jurisdictional relevance of God's Word. Uh, they're not just Reader's Digest type of hints on how to live or uh, suggestions for success. No, what the Bible uh, says, God says. What the Bible says, God says. And, and obedience is not optional. Which, which kind of gives me just a little uh, perfect entree to say kind of parenthetically to folks that sometimes uh, maybe get upset and don't like all of the uh, more controversial topics that I end up preaching on from time to time. Uh, don't shoot the messenger. Right? Uh, take it up with the master. Right? And, and the flip side of that being, you know, honestly, if, if you come to church Sunday after Sunday and, and never once feel pinched or, or poked at, or like maybe you got your feet stepped on, either I'm not doing my job right, or you're just not listening. Because I can tell you honestly that the Holy Spirit convicts me just about every week, uh, even before I actually bring you the sermon, just reading through these things to keep me on the right path. And that should be true for all of us. Uh, which leads me to my second point in that God's Word is reliable. You can trust it. Uh, all of it is faithful and righteous and true and it doesn't change with the times but rather by the power of the holy spirit it speaks practical relevance to every culture and every period of history because uh, church the answer to all the problems we face today is in this book because it speaks god's truth through our human condition and that hasn't changed either uh, and neither have the attacks against it against its veracity and its sufficiency in fact uh, pastor john MacArthur, who i know a lot of you uh, follow said contemporary Christians have been beguiled and sabotaged by a ruinous lack of confidence in God's word 
Believing the lie, he says, the scripture simply does not contain all that we need to minister to people in these complex and sophisticated modern times. So he said they turn to human expertise in the fields of psychology or business or government or politics or worse, entertainment or whatever else they think might supply some recipe for worldly success that they feel the scripture is lacking. That sound like our world today? But we need to come back to what Psalm 119 repeatedly affirms, and that is the truth that Scripture is reliable because it comes from a God who understands our needs and who graciously reveals how we should handle them for our good and, and for His glory. And I know you guys know as, uh, as well as I do, we all have to make literally hundreds of decisions every day that determine the outcome of our lives in this complex world that we live in. Some of those decisions are major, some are, are minor, but all, in all of them, we desperately need God's wisdom for making sound choices and to shine a light in the direction that God wants us to go. Uh, and that's actually the whole idea that comes directly from probably the most quoted verse from Psalm 119, uh, verse 105, that says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And we need to have our paths illuminated today, don't we? I mean, it's like... Uh, just as a quick example, like, like for Vicky and I, we can't sleep if there's any lights on in our bedroom. N none. Not, not at all. I'm talking uh, blackout shades beneath the blinds. Uh, I turn the alarm clock to face the wall. We even cover up that, you know, that little red button on the front of the TV. Yeah, but, but then guess what happens if I have to get up at night? Right, and try to navigate the room without running into the clothes hamper uh, or the, the tall dresser or my shoes that I just threw off in the way. Um, not always successful. But brothers and sisters, the world is like that. The world's dark. Sometimes horribly so, and it's strewn with obstacles to trip us up as we, uh, we grope around trying to make sure we don't metaphorically whack our shins or crack our heads on the hidden dangers that lay in wait for us in this life. And so Psalm 119 says we need to let some light in, and we can have that light today. We can do that but only as we put our trust in the trustworthiness of God's Word. But the good news is we're free to do that this morning because of my third point, which is the Bible is God's declaration of His sovereignty over the suffering of this world. The Bible is God's declaration of His sovereignty over suffering. That's a major theme of Psalm 119. And today's psalmist, and just also, you know, we don't exactly know who the author is. Most scholars think it was Ezra was living in a really hostile time, one that we talked about last week where the people of God, uh, even though they're coming back to the land of Israel, back to the promised land, ended up feeling like strangers in their own country, uh, the country that their ancestors had built. And the psalmist repeatedly says he's being afflicted uh, and that evil men are persecuting him and so-called friends are speaking against him. And, and, you know, and he doesn't share that because he's some kind of uh, whiny malcontent but to reinforce something the Bible says is crystal clear, and that is that godly people are not exempt from suffering or from trials. And that's actually a promise you can count on. Paul says as much in 2 Timothy 3, he said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, does it say might? No, what's it say? Will. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But even in the midst of all of his trials, God gave our psalmist today, and he still offers to you and me a stability and a comfort that comes in an intimate familiarity with God that we only get in his word. 
Right? That type of wisdom doesn't come by neglecting the Bible until some kind of crisis hits and then uh, open it up for some kind of last-minute emergency guidance like a magic eight ball. Um, and you guys have probably heard this because I've used this story before, and if you're familiar with R.C. Sproul, he used to love to tell it about uh, the man who needed some guidance in a decision he was facing, and uh, he wasn't necessarily a Christian, but he, he picked up his Bible anyway and uh, figured he'd just choose a few verses at random and follow their advice. Uh, and so he closed his eyes, he opened the Bible at random, he pointed to a verse which turned out to be Matthew 27, 5, that says, Judas went and hanged himself. Uh, and he thought, well, I better, I better try that again. So he, he fanned the pages some more, he pointed to another verse, and this time he landed on Luke 10, 37, which says, go thou and do likewise. Uh, and he shook his head and he thought, man, this cannot possibly be right. I better try just once more. Uh, and so he flipped some more pages and, and pointed at random. Uh, ended up on John 13, 27. It says, what thou doest, do quickly. <laughs> and, and, you know, we can, we can laugh a little about that. But believe me, and this is not funny, when I tell you that there are way too many people who play that same kind of self-defeating game when it comes to getting their information and their direction about how to navigate the dangers of life uh, and steer through the sufferings that are common to all of us just by like pulling in all these disparate thoughts at random when they seek to get it either through over-reliance on the mass media of this world or worse, an indolent disregard for the wisdom that only comes through an intimate knowledge of God's Word. Uh, a knowledge that only comes when we walk closely with Him, which is exactly what time spent in the Scripture offers. And because that's my, my final point is that the Bible is God's loving invitation to a living relationship with Him. The Bible is God's loving invitation to a living relationship with Him. Because you see, you know, as believers, we don't study Scripture just to become Bible scholars. Uh, we do study it to learn God's precepts. And, and not only that, that's good. We need to follow them. We certainly should do that. But no, we study the Bible to seek God Himself. And then in and through it, God brings us to life spiritually. And he sustains us in that life so our hearts don't grow cold. And that happens because, church, God is the author of life itself. And he has infused his word with life-giving power through the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, both to bring the spiritually dead person to life and to revive the believer. And, and so today, if you, uh, if you know Christ, if, if you know him as your Savior, but you find yourself uh, walking through a difficult time physically or a dry time spiritually, seek God in His Word, and He'll use it to revive you. I can promise you that. Uh, and if you're not, though, if, if, if you're not a believer, uh, if you don't yet know Christ, if you have never made a public declaration of faith in Christ and recognized that the Word of God is that source of spiritual life and vitality, um, it's my job today to remind you that you're one day closer to your sell-by date than you were yesterday. Uh, and so I call on you in Jesus' name, repent and believe the gospel. Uh, don't wait. And, and then start reading the word. The, uh, we talked about this in Sunday school. The tiny little epistle of 1 John uh, near the back of the Bible before Revelation is a great place to start reading. You can read it through the whole thing in 10 minutes. I guarantee you. Uh, and then ask God to, uh, ask him to reveal himself to you. Uh, ask him to redeem you, to purchase you with his blood. And I can promise you he'll do that as well. Uh, and then you'll be born again to a living hope, a living hope with no expiration date. 
Just like our psalmist today as he prayed, let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation, your, your Jesus, according to your promise. Deliver me according to your word. Let my soul live and let your judgments help me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. Uh, forgive us, Lord, for so often neglecting it, pushing it to the side, uh, acting like we'll have time for it later. But uh, help us to know, Father, that it is life and truth. Uh, help us, Father, to find you in it uh, and continue to uh, just write your life into ours by your Holy Spirit. And we ask these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.